Okay, we're gonna get started. It's eight o'clock and glad to see everybody here. My name is Gray Jones. You might've seen me from the podcasting world. A um, Little bit about me, I'll be moderating today. Uh, I've got an honors BFA in screenwriting from York University in Toronto. I'm a TV editor slash writer with credits on about 196 TV episodes. And my video podcast, the TV writer podcast partner of Script Magazine has featured interviews with over 85 writers, producers, showrunners, all types of people, and, and you definitely want to check it out at tvwriterpodcast.com. Um, I also created the world's largest database of TV writers on Twitter with over a thousand writers. You can find that at the podcast site and co-writed the weekly uh, TV writer chat or co-created the weekly TV writer chat group as well. Um, but enough about me, let's meet our panelists, uh, and they are some amazing ones. Bill Tubb, second from the end there, has been writing for television since the late 1970s, starting with Barney Miller. He's produced and or written dozens of classic series, both hour and half hour, comedy and drama. In 1987, he wrote the pilot for Friday the 13th, the series, which went th uh, three seasons. In the mid-90s, he co-wrote the pilot for Dark Shadows and later wrote the pilot for Relic Hunter, which went three seasons as well. In 2004, his spec pilot Raffle Guy won the Scriptapalooza competition. And Bill also teaches online at the UCLA Extension Writers Program, writing a spec pilot and a new workshop creating a web series with students all over the world. And most recently, he distilled his decades of experience into a book on pilot writing called Automatic Pilot. Welcome, Bill. And Carol Kirshner down at the end has worked as a senior television executive for 16 years. Her posts at CBS and as vice president of television at Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment have given her an insider's angle on how to get in, move up, and sell projects. She helped develop award-winning shows like Murphy Brown and Designing Women. Carol is also a respected presenter and educator through USC and UCLA Extension, among others. She's the creator of the CBS Diversity Institute Writers Mentoring Program, and get this, the director of the WGA Showrunner Training Program. She helps train showrunners, that's pretty cool. She also leads seminars on how to succeed in Hollywood, including strategic networking, pitching, and self-promotion. Through her career coaching practice, Park on the Lot, she consults with both beginners and seasoned writers, and she literally wrote the book on breaking in, Hollywood Game Plan, and uh, I, I consider this a manual for the industry. You must have this book. So welcome, Carol. Thank you. That check will be uh, in the mail to you. Uh -huh. And international speaker Jen Grisanti is next to me here. Uh, she's an acclaimed story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, writing instructor for Writers on the Verge at NBC, former 12-year studio executive, including VP of Current Programming at CBS Paramount, blogger for the Huffington Post and author of the books Storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story, TV Writing Toolkit, How to Write a Script That Sells, and her new book, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, A Path to Success. Of the writers she has personally consulted with, a whopping 27 have sold pilots, yeah. four of which went to series. Welcome, Jen. And last but not least, William Rabkin, next to Jen there, has written and or produced more than 300 hours of dramatic television. He served as showrunner on the long-running Dick Van Dyke mystery series Diagnosis Murder and on the action-adventure Martial Law. His many writing and producing credits include The Glades, Monk, Psych, 
Nero Wolf, Missing, Spencer for Hire, Sequest 2032, Hunter, and the Cosby Mysteries. He's also written a dozen network TV pilots. His work has been nominated twice for the Edgar Award for Best Television Episode by the Mystery Writers of America. And he's published two books on writing for television, Successful Television Writing with Lee Goldberg, and Writing the Pilot, as well as five novels. He is the co-creator and co-editor of The Dead Man, a monthly series of supernatural action thrillers published by Amazon's 47 North imprint. Welcome, William. And I, I do want to mention that we'll be raffling a lot of these books at the end. And the way that you enter in that part of the raffle is you got to ask a question. So be ready for the Q&A, which will be the last 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, enough about all of these bios and stuff. But one thing I do want to mention as well is that there are close to $7,000 of prizes that will be available post-panel. And there's a special secret web page that I'm going to give you that tells you how to access those prizes to be raffled. So make sure you do pay attention when we get to the q and I'll give you that link. But now on to the moderated portion of the panel, starting with William Rabkin. Um, I want to know, I mean, 10 years ago, there were a whole bunch of books on writing a spec episode for a TV show. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants pilots. Why are spec episodes out and pilots in? Well, there are a lot of, lot of reasons for that. The first one is that we don't like reading spec episodes any more than you like writing them. Um, but mostly, everybody's looking for the original voice now. The point of a spec episode is to match somebody else's voice and bring some of yourself. Uh, everybody's looking for the person who can create the new show, even if they're going to be staffed. Also, practically, there are now... When I started out, you know, you would write a show in a genre and that script would be applicable to six or seven other shows in the same genre. Now, if you write a Game of Thrones, somebody who's running Mad Men or Breaking Bad or NCIS has no way of saying, oh, this guy's good for my show. There's just too much diversity. So I think a spec episode is fairly useless. But... That will change in about six months because the pendulum always swings back and forth. Uh -huh. Now, one thing I know as a career coach, Carol Kirshner, you recommend people still do write specs. Why would that be? I, I do, and, and uh, with all respect, there, there's two reasons to write a spec of a current show. One is if you want to apply to any of the television network writing programs. There's Jen's fabulous program, Writers on the Verge, my fabulous program, CBS Diversity yeah. Writers Mentoring Program. There's an ABC uh, writing program and a, and a Warner Brothers Workshop writing program. You're going to need a spec for that. And the other thing is that uh, some showrunners, and in the showrunner training program, the guy who's the showrunner on Parks and Rec, he said he only wants to read specs. Now, he's in the minority, but... He said he only wants to read specs because he doesn't care about people's original voice. I'm sorry. He wants to make sure that somebody can write in his tone. So, so you actually, I think, need both. Very cool. And uh, now we do have to establish. A lot of people think, okay, I'm going to write a spec episode, and it's going to make me a ton of money. It's going to get produced in a series. How likely is it when you write a spec pilot that it's going to sell? Very, very, very unlikely. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the good news is that it is possible. Right now, how many people know the show Extant that's on CBS? Okay. Mickey Fisher knew nobody. He was a writer out of nowhere. He wrote that as a spec pilot. He, uh, 
he, he knew one person who knew somebody who was a junior agent at CAA, which is a top, one of the top talent agencies in the business. He, he gave it to her. She loved it. She gave it to her boss, who loved it. And by the way, here's an inside tip. In Hollywood, nobody just likes anything. They love it <laughs> until they stop returning your calls. <laughs> or better yet, till they buy it. Anyway, so that person had a friend uh, represent Steven Spielberg's company. Uh, they showed it there. Steven loved it. And then there was a bidding war for it. It was a 13-episode on-the-air order. And um, so it's, it's possible to happen. And, and um, if you have something that's awesome on the page, then people... It, so even if you don't sell your spec pilot, if people love your work, you can get management, you can get an agent, a manager, you can get a producer interested in you. They may not want to buy the pilot that you wrote, but they may be very interested in doing something else with you. Yeah, very, very cool. And I, I have heard of situations where somebody couldn't sell that pilot, they got staffed on a show, and then after they built up a reputation for themselves, then they pulled their pilot out of the closet. That would be it. Matt Weiner yeah. of uh, Mad Men. So he came out of the comedy world. He really wanted to work on Sopranos. And so what he did was he sat down and he wrote a spec pilot. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got him the gig on, uh, on Sopranos. He moved up to executive producer of Sopranos. And then when that show ended, his representation said, well, is there anything you want to do? And he pulled out the pilot and said, I want to do this. And they took it to AMC, and AMC said, yes, we want to do it too. Yeah, and good decision that was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, Bill Tubb, in his book, Loves Breaking Myths, um, we've always heard, write what you know. You've probably heard that in a lot of seminars. Bill doesn't believe that. Why not? I believe that the most important thing is to write what you want to see. And write what you know might be a subcategory of that. But Robert Town, who I got the quote from, said, one of the problems with Hollywood is when you start trying to figure out the marketplace is you lose your vision. And if you're going to write a spec pilot, the most important thing to do is follow your heart. It's a passion project. You write what you want to see, and that's the best chance you have of getting noticed. It will establish what you're interested in and what you think you want to see on television. So write what you want to see is the way to not only make it sound better, but more fun to write. Yeah, and, and somewhat related to that, you have an acronym IOU. Tell, tell us about that. Yes. Well, I'm out of advertising. And the one thing we used to say in advertising is, what's the unique selling proposition? Every product has to have a uniqueness. And a television series is a product. And I think that the most important thing that you start with, execution comes after, is what is the unique element? So IOU, which is what I created for, came up with in relationship to USP, is what's your big idea? What's the origin of it? Do you have a crazy uncle? Is it a column or something like that? Because what, what attracted you to it might be part of the passion and what makes it unique. Even if you're doing a genre piece, like a procedural, somebody has a photographic memory, somebody does it by math, somebody reads your eyes, somebody can tell how many teeth you have, there is always a unique element in it that separates it from everyone else. And that's what IOU is about, which you must come up with, for me, before you even start executing it. Very cool. Now, speaking about genre, 
Um, a lot of people in this audience, probably in Comic-Con, um, are thinking about maybe genre-type stories. Genre-type stories take a long time to sort of set up the world. That brings up the, the, the concept of a premise pilot versus a regular episode. Tell us about the difference between them and what people should write. I'm a firm believer in um, coming up with what's called a prototypical episode. If I want to see, does a series have any legs, or do, am I interested in it, how is it executed? I mean, the execution is all important. I could have done Modern Family as a soap opera if I wanted to. You know, I could have done any number. I could have done Big Bang Theory as an animated show. So what I've created, since you're doing it on spec and you're not pitching it, people aren't going to know exactly how did these people get together. The little part of your spec pilot is going to be how these people got together, and the major part of your um, spec pilot is going to be a prototypical episode. Just know if all you do is set up, that's going to come down to a one and a half minute montage behind opening credits. And people are going to say, so what's the series? Yeah, very cool. Um, now, at the core of a television series has got to be conflict. Um, William Rabkin, tell us why. Because drama is conflict. I mean, the two are, are the same. Without conflict, there's no drama. It's just people say, without conflict, what you have is the leftovers. A bunch of people sitting around saying, oh, I'm depressed now. Um, <laughs> it's not a formula for a show that you know, you're going to look forward to seeing again soon. Pardon me if Damon Lindelof is in the room. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what specifically has to be in the central conflict? of a TV series versus the central conflict of a movie? Well, the central conflict of a TV series is the mechanism through which you explore the theme, and the theme is the organizing principle that goes, that defines what your show is. You know, how do you know what goes into an episode of a series? It has to line up with the theme. So if you look at, you know, any show, but I always go to Buffy because I think it's really the most obviously theme-driven show I can think of. You know, the theme was, you know, how do you choose between your desire to do for yourself and your obligation to do for the world? Every story over seven years was a reiteration of that central conflict. Buffy was always put in a position where she wanted something for herself and was forced to choose whether or not to sacrifice that to save the rest of us. That powered that show. That's why you can't take a story from Charmed, say, and call it a Buffy, because Charmed was about something else. Yeah, and uh, especially in Hollywood, you often hear about the happy ending at the, at the end of a movie. You don't want that happy ending in a TV show, because then it's over. Right. Is it, so you have to have something that's yep. impossible to resolve. Um, and over to Jen Grisanti, you talk a lot about a powerful dilemma in your teaching materials. Yes. Um, dilemma. How many of you understand how to use dilemma and use it in your writing? Okay. So this is really good for you guys to understand because I have to admit, in being a studio executive at two studios for 15 years, there were things that I really didn't know. And I got to see my notes made every day on up to five shows a week that I was covering. And I didn't recognize the value of Dilemma then. And, and when I was writing my book, Storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story, I came into the idea of if your story, what I did was I recognized how is my voice going to be different from the hundred other screenwriting books out there. 
And so I knew I'd been an analyst at that point for 17 years. So I got a bunch of Emmy-nominated, Oscar-nominated, Golden Globe-nominated scripts, and I extracted a formula. And the dilemma is a huge part of that formula. So the reason that dilemma is so huge at the beginning of each of your story arcs is number one, it creates empathy for the central character in the story arc because they are pushed between a rock and a hard place and they have to make a choice. And number two is when they make that choice, that defines the external goal in the A story. So dilemma is key to your story working. Mm. And, and how do you create strong emotional stakes in that? Do you know, um, when I was an executive, I got known, I would have like 45 minute long meetings and I would often pull personal story out of people and then I'd say, have you ever written about it? And, and suddenly people who were so afraid became excited because they recognized, I said, I'm not saying from an autobiographical point, I'm saying from a point of adding fiction to your emotional truth. And when you understand how to add fiction to your emotional truth, you help to raise the emotional stakes. And then two other tools that I use with writers on elevating the emotional stakes are linking the personal dilemma of the central character to the professional pursuit. So when we understand what the personal dilemma is, which goes into the why of the what that the character wants, then we understand what we're rooting for. For example, in The Good Wife, we know that Alicia needs to bring security back to her family after her husband goes into jail. So that we understand her personal dilemma is bringing security back to her family. So every time she hits an obstacle in the court case, the first court case she's assigned, we understand what's at stake is that she may not be able to bring security back to her family. So that adds emotional stakes. And the second thing is think about the wound that is driving your character and the flaw that gets in the way. I work with writers on that tool. So when you understand the wound that is driving your central character, then you will elevate the stakes because we will understand what is motivating them, which goes into what is the why behind the what. Mm -hmm. And what about a clear goal? How important is that? So in the formula that I came up with, which is every story starts with a trigger incident that leads the central character into a dilemma and then the choice that they make in the dilemma defines the external goal. The reason the goal is so important is because the go every obstacle, escalating obstacle, all is lost moment needs to connect back to the goal. And when the goal is not clear, the story doesn't work. Yeah, and, and actually act breaks relate to that as well. Um, yeah. if, if they relate to mm -hmm. the goal, um, then you have a compelling act. Well, your act breaks are obstacles to the goal. Yeah. So when you're hitting your act breaks, if you're going, wait, what is this obstacle and why do I care? Then it's not an obstacle that's linking back to the goal. So mm -hmm. it's very important for the act breaks. And we hear a lot about log lines in the feature world. Yes. Why would you want a log line in the television world? So 
A lot of what I work with writers on definitely are log lines for the scripts and something I call log line for your life. And the log lines for the scripts, um, the formula that I have writers use is setup of who, meaning your central character, create empathy, dilemma, action, goal, twist of irony. So I have that formula for both log lines and what that does like if you're writing a pilot, if you write a series logline using that formula, a pilot logline using that formula, and then you write a logline for your A, B, and C story, then you have your whole framework right there in five loglines. So it's a way, your logline will tell you whether your story will work or it won't work. And so many people will get frustrated and say, no, I just want to go to the outline, I want to skip the logline. The law, all your answers are in the logline, whether it will work or not. So if you perfect the logline, you make the rest of your writing process easier. And I'm going to have a logline contest, so everybody knows. Can mm -hmm. I pitch that now? Sure. So I'm going to have a logline contest where the winner will get, um, the value is at $950. There's going to be one winner. I'm going to have a second place and a third place. So. If you're interested in writing those five log lines that I talked about, and by pressing this link, you'll be able to get all the instructions for it. And the link is http colon double slash forward slash uh, tinyurl.com forward slash and then Comic Con log line contest. I know, it's long. If that's too much to write down, that, that's all on the secret blog page that you'll access at the end. And it's all going to be on the secret blog page that, yeah. that uh, Gray, yeah, is going to give you access to. Yeah. So just so and, you and, know. And you might be afraid of the, the whole idea of rules. Well, first of all, there are going to be rules in television. But a, a lot of these things help you to lock in on the theme so that you understand it. Right. And then your execution is all up to you. Um, but uh, one of the things I loved, uh, Bill Taub, in your book was uh, your approach from advertising gave you a real insight into idea creation. And I know when we're coming up with an idea for a pilot, sometimes just getting those raw ideas is tough. Tell me about the rule of threes that you brought in from advertising. Well, actually, the rule of threes came from uh, Danny Arnold on Barney Miller. Um, Danny's philosophy was always that the first thought you had was the one that was closest to the surface. So you put that on the side. You can always come back to it and dig deeper. And he said two was too few, four was too many, three worked fine. That's the way it works. And so when you keep digging, and I, I find that you know the, the most important thing is when somebody says, do you like this? I say, compared to what? So it, I give myself choices. And often, idea number two or idea number three, when I dig deeper, far surpasses the one that was closest to the surface. And I do the same thing for every element, whether it be location, whether it be characters. You say, well, this role could be played by such and such a character, or such and such a character, or such and such a character. I always want to give myself options and say, compared to what? Yeah, and, and that's actually a lot of what a, a, a room full of like a staff of writers will do. They'll be pitching ideas out, they'll get two, three, four things on the board and they say, ah, let's pick that one. When you're writing a, a spec pilot, you're doing this all by yourself and that's one way you can kind of simulate that brainstorming effect of a writing staff. But uh, continuing on, um, William Rabkin, in your book you stress establishing theme 
early and building from it. Uh, talk about this a little bit. Well, as I said before, theme is the defining principle of your series. Theme defines what your show is all about. Without that, you've just got a mess of characters and it's all completely random. You know, there are 10 million cop shows on the air still, even in this day when, you know, we've got shows about meth dealers and kings and everything else. So what's going to define your cop show from someone else's cop show. It's what your show is about. You know, CSI, um, you know, all six trillion episodes of all the CSI shows are driven by the idea. People lie, evidence doesn't. It's a dichotomy that drives the series. The Shield, I think one of the best cop shows ever, is all about the question of how much evil can a good man do in the pursuit of doing good before he becomes evil himself? That one question drove every episode for seven years, and it defined what that show is about. You need to know what your story is about because every choice you make in plotting, in dialogue, every choice can be determined by what you want to say. So until you know what you want to say, everything is completely random. You can put anything in. And that's why you'll find when you're starting something, often you'll start writing off an impulse. Oh, here's an idea. I want to do a show about an elephant who can fly. I'm going to start taking notes. Some people start writing. Some people start plotting. Some people just do notes. And that's good for a little while. And then you have to go back and say, OK, I've got all this stuff about elephants that can fly. How do I know what to choose to put in? Well, okay, what do I want to say? What's my show going to be about? And sometimes that choice is made right up front. Um, you know, it's the first thought. Sometimes people go through a draft of a script, two drafts of a script, before they understand, oh, this, this is what my show is about. But until you have that, you don't have a show. Yeah, and, and specifically, one of the things I loved in your book is, is the practicals of how to build out your characters based on that theme. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, again, you know, I don't know how you approach characters. I deal with a lot of students in my various careers. And a lot of new writers come to it saying, oh, you know, my sister is funny and wacky and she walks with a limp and she lives in Cleveland. I want a character just like my sister. And you can do a lot with a character who's a lot like somebody you know and you can make him just like life. But a character in a TV show or a movie has to be there for a point. They have to relate to what the show is about, or there's no way you can service them and they can service your story. If you look at a successful TV show, again, go back to Buffy. Big, big, big supporting cast. Grew and shrank over the years. The show was about Buffy being torn between being a normal high school, school student, later college student, um, and a superhero. So every character who appeared regularly existed to pull her in one direction or another. You had Giles, her uh, mentor, pulling her towards the supernatural. You had Angel pulling her into that world. You had her human pals. You had Cordelia, who lived the life she wanted to lead, at least at first. You know, she, everyone represented a piece of the conflict she was facing every day. So every one of them always had a role in every story. If you invented um, uh, Poochie, 
right? Poochie the dog. You just want to put him into Itchy and Scratchy because you want a character who is proactive. <laughs> you, know, you quickly find, unless he's integral to what the show is about, there's no way to use that character because it can't be used to tell the story. Okay. Now, specifically in the context of a pilot, um, we, we talked about the, the premise pilot, the prototypical, prototypical episode. Why does the plot of a pilot have to be simple? Well, I know I've said that. I just want, you know, if, if what you're selling in your pilot, your pilot has to be a template for the show. It has to be the show in miniature. So if you're selling a modern-day remake of Banachek, a show that went off the air before anyone except Bill Taub in this room was born, um, <laughs> but it was all about really, 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 really complicated mysteries, then your pilot needs a complicated mystery. But for the most part, in a pilot, you have a story that is introducing people into the world of the show. You're introducing the characters. No one really cares a lot about the plot at that point. The plot is just a mechanism to pull you through the episode. So the simpler you can make the plot there, the easier it is just to accept, to, to explore the characterization. Hmm. Very, very cool. Now, uh, over to Jen Grisanti. Tell me about a, B, and C stories. What was that all about? Well, it's interesting how story has evolved because it used to be your, you would have your A story, very often was your professional story, your B story was your personal story, your C story was another character. But now in shows, because they've become so evolved and you have many shows like The Good Wife, Homeland, where you, almost, you have like a personal side of the A story. So you have a professional side and a personal side of the A story, which is your dominant story, which is your central character and, and the arc of, of them going after the goal, whereas your B story very often is a different character now. So say, for example, in The Good Wife, you could have a story with Alicia that you also have a home story, but you also have the court case. And then you can have a B story with Will and a C story with Kalinda or Peter or Diane. So you want, um, you, with your A, B, and C story, your A story is more dominant. Your B story is going to elevate, very often if it's written well, the theme of your A story. And then your C story is going to complement that in a smaller way. Very cool. Now, if all that seems like spaghetti to you when it comes to writing, <laughs> Uh, Bill, how do you take these A, B, and C stories and plot them out? Well, I mean, the best way to keep my head from exploding is if, uh, and again, let me make a distinction between story and plot. Uh, to me, story is like once upon a time and it's from beginning to end. How I plot that story out is how am I going to visually, cinematically tell it? I might start in the middle, I might start in the end. Um, the plotting, like Memento, went from back to front. So I want to be clear on my story. And then when I plot it out, I want to say, well, how does it hold with the execution that I want for my series? Because this is the template. So what I do is I plot out each story, beat by beat, separately. All right? The A story, the B story, the C story, a runner if I have it. Not worrying about interweaving them, because that'll make my head explode. Um, and then I can see at what point do I feel that I want to intercut. I might have many more beats in my A story than I do in my B story. 
So I know I want to do three beats of my A story before I do a beat of my B story. So I have to plot them out individually and then worry about intercutting them. Very, very cool. That's where index cards might come in handy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of digital tools as well. Um, now, uh, Jan Grisani, we, we, we talked a bit about uh, the act breaks. How do you suggest writing to the act breaks? And, and I should mention that even in a cable show that doesn't necessarily have commercials, you're still writing to those kinds of points. But tell us about that. Well, it's interesting. Uh, on my StoryWise podcast, I had interviewed Jeff Melvoin, um, who Carol knows with the showrunner program, who's very beloved. And we um, discussed the idea of when writers write cable shows, and I love what Jeff said. He said, I think they should have act breaks in them because every showrunner that's reading your scripts needs to know that you know how to write toward the act break. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think the act breaks make it easier because you look at, like, when I'm reading cable scripts that don't have act breaks, I'm looking for those points, regardless of whether the breaks are there. And I think many writers think, oh, I can get away with those points not being there. And then the story doesn't work. So the act breaks are actually your friend. And you want to look at your act breaks, again, as obstacles, escalating obstacles, all as lo lost moment that connects back to the goal. And another uh, creative way um, to make your act break really strong is to couple an obstacle in the personal story and an obstacle in the professional story. So you're kind of having like a double whammy at the act break and, and that works really well. I mean, I, when I worked at Spelling, you know, I, and Aaron Spelling used to always say, you know, you, when you're looking at act breaks, you want to end on a question and then you're answering the question at the top of the next act so that when your audience goes to the restroom, they want to come back to find the answer to the question. Mm -hmm. And, and one, one of the things... Can, go ahead. I don't know we're on time schedule, yeah. but I just wanted to add to that because there's always a question that comes up. Well, now shows have six acts and seven acts and on Bravo, 12 acts. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, do I, how do I write to that? I just want to say that for me, the answer is the basic television four-act structure is actually the standard three-act structure of all our features and most of our plays and a lot of our novels. It's the structure we all know. It's three acts. It's a quarter for the first act. It's a quarter for the second act. It's a long second act. The only difference is in a feature, there's a midpoint turn. And in TV, in a four-act structure, there's a hard break at that midpoint turn. But in either scenario, that midpoint is the most important tent pole in the structure. That's what you have to aim for. Those other act breaks in there are in there to sell commercials. The structure people are looking for are the big turning points at the one quarter, one half, and three quarter points. Yeah, and and I should mention that that structure can actually be your friend when you're mm -hmm. writing because what you can do is you can lay out the structure and maybe you don't know how it goes from A to Z, but you might just put in your tent poles in the beginning. So you, you kind of have an idea of this is what the all is lost moment is going to be. We'll put that in yeah. and then try to figure out, well, what do I need to lead up to that or what would happen after that? And you can gradually fill in a story and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, it's there. <laughs> because structure actually does elevate emotion mm -hmm. if it's done well. In, uh, in William Rabkin, talk about the fun. 
the fun. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's a, a phrase. Uh, we're getting a big 15-minute oh, okay. uh, that, That's a phrase that, that uh, they use in Save the Cat, but I will, I will talk about it anyway, despite my lifelong boycotting of those books, because um, I think they corrupt people. Um, but the fun, the fun is what you're selling. And again, I'm sorry to keep picking on people who are much more successful than I am, um, but if you look at the leftovers, if you imagine the leftovers before you saw it, say, what's the fun? Ooh, look, people were raptured out or whatever it is. They disappeared. The world's going to be completely different. Let's explore that. And you get to the show and you say, it's all the same except people are mopey. It's like 30-something, but they're, you know, they take their clothes off. Um, there is no fun there. You have, thank you. you. You have a concept that excites you. Why is it exciting you? You know, extent. Okay, she's pregnant from a creature from outer space. It's like, people are tuning in. What the hell is gonna happen? How did that happen? What's that baby gonna look like? That's the fun. It's the promise inherent in the concept. And you have to exploit that. And you have to exploit it in the pilot. You know, a lot of people have the idea, you know, people, writers are very ambitious and they're writing their pilot and they think, and boy, in episode six, this great thing is going to happen. And in episode yeah. nine, it's like, no, there is no episode six. There is no episode nine. You have 60, 65, maybe 70 pages. Um, to wow the world. It's like, I remember when I was doing martial law, and I don't know if you were there at the time, everyone at CBS hated me by this point, because it was late in the we year. We didn't hate you. Okay, good, <laughs> thank you. Um, but I remember talking to my program executive and talking about um, an idea for the second season, a romance with one of the only character we actually liked on the show. Um, and he said, we have saying over here, it's like, don't put stuff off in the future, do it now. It's like, oh, yeah, we can fit that in. And it turned out to be the best part of a not great show. It's like, don't wait to get the fun later. Find a way to bring it in now. If you have a cool concept that can't be exploited for six hours, no one will ever make it to hour four, and no one will ever find out. Very cool. Now, I should mention we're going to do Q&A in about three minutes. We'll have just a few questions here, but if you want to start lining up at the mic, if you do have questions, um, you're welcome to do that. Uh, Carol Kirshner. Yes. So say I've written a pilot. Now what? Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask, how many people have written a pilot? Oh, Fantastic. quite a few. How many people are in the process of writing a pilot? Holy moly. Better yet, how many people have an idea for a pilot? How many people wandered into the wrong room? <laughs> um, okay, so you've written a pilot. Now what? Now you get people excited about your work. Now is the time to get your material to an agent, to a manager, to a producer. Now is the time to enter festivals and, screen, and screenwriting contests. And, and here's what I recommend. Only, only submit to the top festivals. Don't waste your time or money on the Schmageggy Film Festival. <laughs> Here, here's the ones I recommend. The Page Pilot, the Austin Film Festival Pilot, um, the Nickel Pilot. Nickel, uh, put, your, put your script up on the blacklist because you do have to pay for that, but people are looking at that. The industry is looking at that. Um, do the Final Draft Big Break mm -hmm. uh, Contest. Yeah. 
Did you do that? I did. I just submitted it. Yay. Yay. Good luck. <laughs> um, and the New York uh, TV Festival. Yeah. So what you want to do is you, you finished it. Don't keep it in your drawer. Get it out there. Get it to anybody who knows anybody like Mickey Fisher. Get it to anybody you know who might know somebody in the business. Very cool. And now... In contrast, if I want a job on a TV staff, what's got to be in my portfolio? Here's what's got to be in your portfolio. Uh, for me, you need at least two, preferably three, original pilots and one spec minimally. Um, and all of them, and this is a mistake that beginners often make, all of them should be in a similar genre. So if you're writing sci-fi, which I bet a lot of you are, otherwise you wouldn't be here this weekend, um, don't have a spec that's two broke girls. That's not going to help you. Make sure that all of your material is in a, in a similar genre. Very cool. Well, we are going to do the Q&A, and boy, I hope we can get through as many people as possible. Um, and uh, so please tell me your name and a very brief question. We get one question each. Let's roll. Uh, my name is uh, Melinda Layden, mm -hmm. and uh, thank you for writing The Big Bang Theory, because that was actually what I used for the spec script for Final Draft. So thank you. That's an awesome show. Um, I'm on the topic of shorter half-hour films, because, uh, sorry, not films. Pilots. Uh, half-hour pilot. Uh, you mentioned 60 to 65 pages for, I'm assuming, an hour drama with A, B, and C story. In half an hour, you don't have that amount of time. I'd heard 22 pages, but Final Draft wouldn't accept anything under 25 to 30. So I was wondering, lengthwise, what's better pro pro professional? Are you talking single camera? I'm sorry, say again? Are you talking single camera for half? There is a multiple camera half hour, and there's a single camera half hour. She's and talking single camera, because that would be in the 20s, yeah. I'm going to plead total newbie and ha say, I don't know. Do, do you see it being shot with, is it two and a half men? Or, and I'm not talking about what it's like. Or is it mom? Is it something where it all takes place in, in, in interior? Or is it interior and exterior? Mostly interior. Okay, that's probably a multicam. Yeah, that well, then 40, it would be in the 40s. 40. There, there, 40 yeah. there are two different formats. Different, format. different formats, though. Okay. Uh, the the single-camera camera comedies are written as a drama would be, as a feature would be, and that would be your 25 pages. Mm -hmm. uh, the multi-camera, they're double-spaced. They they look very different. Uh, you can Google and find out the difference, and that will guide you. Final draft has both formats. Yeah. 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 And I, I would add it's extremely important to read existing pilots. Um, I'm going to give you that resource page now. Um, and this is where all the other raffles are. It's at tvwriterpodcast.com slash pilot. That's the secret page. Um, and that's where you'll find all the raffles. But there's also a link on there to a place that can give you about seven, 800 free scripts. So... Go to that page, and you get tons of scripts you can read from there. One more time, TV Writer. TVWriterPodcast.com slash pilot. Um, okay, so we've got to move on to the next question. Thanks so much, Melinda. Good evening. My name is Erickson Tarasova, and I just had a question about, um, are there any major act uh, structural differences between writing an episode belonging to a serialized series and an episode that is belonging to an episodic series, act structure. No. No. It, it's all the same then. It's all the same. Storytelling. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me qualify that. When I was doing um, Hill Street, there was an A, B, and C story. 
all right? The original concept for Hill Street was everything was gonna be in, uh, serialized. Over four or five episodes, whatever it is, the network said no way, all right? So what they wound up doing, which was a compromise, is they had one self-contained story and the other two, or whatever it was, were serialized. So you'd end, it depends on what you'd end, with one self-contained story so that anybody watching it would know that they had a full episode. Yeah, and most serialized shows in any particular season will have one sort of freelance script or two yes. freelance scripts which will be self-contained. Look for those and try to imitate those. Uh, thanks for your question. So Thank next you. One. Hi, my name is Chance. Uh, I was wondering, you kind of talked about it a little bit, um, especially with uh, a drama or like a sci-fi show, a longer form show. Um, I've read a little bit about series Bibles. How important would it be to have a series Bible together if you're trying to sell a pilot? I, I think, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, in my experience, bi the Bible has changed. Like when I first started in 1992, they used to write like 40 page Bibles. And now they write like, you know, six to 12, 15 page Bibles at the most. My feeling about the Bible is it helps you know your show. So it's a tool for you to know and understand your show. And many of the writers that I've worked with who have, who have gone on to sell pilots uh, have had Bibles. So I think it, it's a tool and I definitely think that there are many studios and networks that want to develop the show themselves, so it's not like killing yourself to know what every single of the 13 episodes, it's really doing like a log line for the first 13 episodes. But in my experience, it has been a relevant tool. Okay. okay. Since, since, I'm the, since I'm the rule breaker, um, what I do and what I recommend people do, because sometimes you can give them reasons to say no, and write too much. Um, so what, at the end of my spec pilot, or what I recommend, which is a typical episode, I put in a couple pages of where do we go from here? And I sort of suggest like where it's going and who's gonna do what and without giving them too much. Okay. Very cool. Thanks guys. Thanks, Thanks for putting this panel on. It's really great. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Waldo. And I was wondering if you can explain me more about the ad break, ad break system, because uh, I was wondering uh, in which minutes or uh, something like that uh, you have to put an ad or that question so uh, the audience came later to answer that question. Uh, are you asking about how to put in ad breaks? Yes, how does it work? Okay. Um, I can give you an alternate theory. Um, when I was doing Dark Shadows, Dan Curtis, his theory was what happens next? And the way he suggested we do the act breaks was you write your script and if every scene is really terrific and really compelling, then you look for 13 pages, 15 pages, 16 pages, 32 pages, whatever it is, and find a place to break it rather than just build towards it. But that was another way of going. Yeah. And I would mention that uh, every single person on this panel has written books, highly suggest their books. They, can, they go into a lot of the nitty-gritty on how to on the do the, the specific writing of the different parts of the script. But thanks for your question. Thank you very much. Okay. 
Uh, hi, my name is Vincent, um, and I was wondering, you guys spoke a bit about how um, the protagonist of a show would sort of be pulled different ways um, based on, the, you know, what the theme, the theme you've chosen, but I'm wondering if there's anything different about how you would approach, like, an ensemble show, um, sort of what you would do with each character um, in each episode with something like that. What? Yeah, I mean, each, each character has to represent some aspect uh, of the theme or, you know, they're useless. So, um, you know, you... I don't know, I'm trying to think of a true ensemble show where everybody is equal and I'm blanking out right now. You know, but I think of Lost, where it was all about faith versus reason. You had your two characters who embodied the two sides and then you had the people who fell in, you know, along the wayside. Uh, if you don't have a specific story and thematic reason for all your characters, then they should go away. Cool, And it, Thank you. it's also understanding with the ensemble cast you are always going to have one character that is your central character in your A story. So say, for example, in Grey's Anatomy, we went into the world through Grey, and then it eventually became more of an ensemble where other characters would get the A stories, but, it, but we went into the story through Grey. So it's always thinking, how am I going into this story? Thank you. Okay, thanks, Vincent. I, I do want to mention it's a, coming up to 10 2 now. Okay. Even though this is the last panel in this room, some of you may have other things you need to go to, so we won't feel offended if you need to take off, but we will stay a few more minutes and take more questions yeah. if you'd like to do that. Uh, I'll give you that link again, tvwriterpodcast.com slash pilot is where you go for tons of extra resources. Uh, next question. Hi, my name is Ken. Um, Gray mentioned execution. I was wondering if you can address my downfall, which is the technical aspect of writing action narration lines, particularly when it applies to pilot. Uh, how much detail do you want to lay out in your pilot episode, and how much detail is too much? Wow. Big question. Well, um, I always think that the narration, or what you call the narration, could be another character. So it would depend on the tone of the script you're going to write, how much and what tone you want to give to the narration. And I'm less intrigued with detail unless it's important to the scene. I don't need to know what people are wearing. I don't need to know what kind of car they're driving unless it's indicative of the character. You know? yeah. um, but other than that, I think it can serve very well to establish the tone that you want in the execution of your series, whether it be lighthearted, whether it be really somber, whether it be suspenseful, scary, all that can come through your narration. It also, I'm sorry, it also depends on what show you're writing. I mean, if, if you're writing a lighthearted detective show and there's a fist fight, it's like, there's a fist fight. If you're writing a show about mixed martial arts fighters in a ring, then you're going to get into detail because that is, as Gray said, the fun, right? So what's your show about? That's what you focus on. I'd also say a pet peeve I have is when people overwrite their narration and, and they are novelists and they're going to make sure that we know what fabulous writers they are. It should really just describe the action, in my opinion, as I, and I read you know, hundreds of scripts and I, I get distracted by it and it's not helpful. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I have written and produced two features. And my original question was, 
how is it, or what are some of the rookie mistakes you see people transitioning from writing features into writing shows? But I feel like you guys succinctly answered that why, by saying, you know, leave it with an open-ended question at the end of each break, so people come back from the bathroom, what have you. So I want to modify it to my second question, um, specifically for Dan and Carol. Uh, Carol, you were part of Designing Women, which, small anecdote, me and my mom bonded over that show. I feel like it was way ahead of its time. Strong nice. woman not talking about men all the time. That was so great. It was a great and show. It was a great show. Uh, Suzanne Sugarbaker, my favorite character. And Jen, um, how you so succinctly talked about dilemma and being crucial in character development. I totally get it. So I wanted to know from both of you, uh, what was the biggest project, and maybe all of you on the panel, that you took a chance on that you're excited but at the same time nervous because you're not sure how it was going to pan out and if you could just share that story, something you were very passionate about reading and then how did that pan out, if you could just give an example. I'm, I'm not sure there's enough time for everybody to do okay. I just want to yeah. say very or Carol, quickly, you. Um, to me the biggest, going back to a mistake that people that come from the feature world, yeah. they, they do a slow build in the pilot. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Okay. Put it all up front you know, grab us in the first two pages. Two pages. And two pages. Okay. Grab us by the throat and don't let go until you're done with Because we pilot. think 10 pages inside an incident, you're like way what? over it. You don't have 10 pages. <laughs> no. You don't have 10 pages. You have two okay. pages. Steve, I know that's harsh. Steven Spielberg used to say the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes are the most important. Boris in the middle. Yep. And, so I, and I just like I said, we don't, we don't have time to talk about our favorite projects. But with the TV world as it is now, with shows becoming more and more extreme and more and more varied, honestly, if you have a project and you're not scared to write it, it's probably not worth writing. Good point. Yeah. Take a risk. Big risk. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Stephanie. Uh, let's try to keep our questions brief, please. Hi, my name is Charlie. Uh, quick question. How do you deal with failure? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, do you know... Uh, I, I have a thought. You wallow in it. My husband says, you wallow in it, you feel bad. I personally buy shoes, and you feel terrible, and then you move on. That, that's, that's me. But, but don't try and run from the feelings. Feel bad, and then move on and try again. The nice thing about writing on spec is you're not failing. You're writing for yourself. You're pleasing yourself. You're writing the thing that you wanted to see. So if you send it to somebody and they say, I don't like it, or it doesn't work, or whatever it might be. As an agent once said to me, they said, no problem, we'll see you at the opening. You, and, okay. You're writing for yourself. So how can you possibly fail? Because you're pleasing yourself. Well, and the truth of the matter is, if you change the way you look at failure, if you look at this town, I cannot begin to tell you how many people have failed forward. So if you start to look at the more failures I have behind me, the more information I have about what doesn't work, and the more clarity I have about what does. The best thing a manager said to me, which took all that off my shoulders, was you'll be a better writer a year from now than you are today, and that's the way it should always be. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, we can probably take one or two more, so real quick. <laughs> Hello, my name is Nick. Uh, not limited strictly to pilots, but how do you weave a story, like something important that you want to weave, obviously a story that starts in the pilot, episode one, to the season finale in episode 24. How do you stretch, obviously with lots of plots and different subplots in between on each episode, but how do you weave that one overall story so fluidly throughout an entire season? Any tips yeah, or secrets? It, it's a lot of work. Yeah. But <laughs> wait, you gotta know what the story is about 
and hopefully shortly after that you'll know as, uh, pretty much where you want it to go by the end. And then it's just a matter, it, to me, plotting a season is like plotting an hour. What I need to know is my act breaks. I need to know my midpoint. And I need to know what happens a quarter of the way through and three quarters of the way through, and then I can fill in. That's how I would do it. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Nick. Hi, my name is Jessica. Uh, my question is, once you've written a pilot and you turn it in and they accept it, um, how often do they typically change your storyline if there, there's something that, like, does that happen a lot? Because I've always wondered about that. Yes, <laughs> it happens a lot. Okay. It happens a lot. I mean, yeah. Jen and I both yep. have been purveyors of that, I'm afraid. That's, Wait, what, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, That's where I say the joy is in writing it for yourself. That first draft is yours. What happens to it afterwards, you have no control over. But they give you a lot of money. You'll get over it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. And that's a great place to end up. Um, so sorry that we didn't have time for all the questions, but we will be hanging around a little bit. If you want to come up and, and meet the panel, meet me, we can, we can do oh. that. I'm going to ask for Jen to pick one of these, because we actually have nine prizes and ten people who asked. So if we just pick can one I also out, say that we know who didn't win. Five of you have cards. Uh, for automatic pilot on your seat. Okay, so if so you have one of those, come up and I'll give you a book. Yeah. So sorry, chance didn't didn't win, oh. but oh, everybody no. else who asked a question can come come up and get a free book. I'm sorry, chance. <laughs> yeah. 